Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, a special mini slate of episodes, mini season, if you will, taking place between season four, which wrapped up earlier in 2020, and season five, which kicks off toward the end of August. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. We are very fortunate to have a phenomenal panel of folks working at the intersection of healthcare and technology to kick off what will be a slate of five episodes spanning the next five weeks, each looking at a particular aspect of voice and conversational AI in some pocket of modern healthcare. This episode is about aging in place, and we're thrilled to have four experts, luminaries from uh, different walks of technology and healthcare joining us. Uh, I'm going to call on them each one, one by one, just to introduce themselves. And Dan Messina, I'm going to start with you. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do. Well, thank you, Bradley. My name is Dan Messina, and I am the uh, co-founder of Hands Free Health. Uh, Hands Free Health is a voice recognition platform device, which is designed to be able to respond to any questions that anybody may have on any healthcare-related matter. Provides reminders. Uh, provides. It's very personalized. Uh, it's it's uh, really a, the front door of healthcare and provides a twenty-four-seven companion uh, for the individual in their home, um, and, and also coordinates with their care keeper. Uh, I think the difference with hands-free health compared to other devices is that hands-free health was designed and developed by people like myself and, and others on our team with 150 years of a combined experience in healthcare. And we handed it off to the technical people to figure out how to make it all come together uh, versus the other way around. And so I think we have a very good sense of what uh, what's missing in the healthcare environment and what people need. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Our next guest is Jean-Claude Junqua. And I, I always forget if I'm pronouncing that right. Am I pronouncing that right? Very good. Very, very close. Jean-Claude okay. Junca. Yes. Uh, okay. Good. So I was born, born and raised in the South, so I'll take close. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. Jean-Claude, thank you for being here. Tell us who you are. Uh, tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do. Okay. So uh, my name is Jean-Claude Junca, and I, uh, I have about, you know, maybe more than 20 years of experience in the area of, you know, speech technology. My PhD actually is on, it's on speech recognition. I, I worked for Panasonic for quite a long time and led the global speech activity of uh, Panasonic. I uh, also created a startup in the area of aging in place, you know, for uh, senior. Maybe we can talk about it a, li a little, uh, you know, later. And currently, uh, what I do, I, uh, I created a company, a, co a consulting company called CE to Innovate. Uh, and uh, in this context, I work with, you know, startups and large organizations to help them, you know, go through the challenge that they have, you know, for startup, more product market fit for uh, large organization, more in terms of trying to create the new uh, business pillar you know that you know they may want to create. So I work in in the area of in the area of healthcare, but also in a number of uh, other area. Usually with a component related to AI, uh, and uh, you know voice is one of them. 
Very cool. John Claude, thank you for joining us for the show today. Thank you. Our next guest is Mark Gray. Mark, say hello. Hello, man. Yeah. Thanks for having us on, Bradley. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, Mark, take a minute. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do. Um, I'm uh, Mark Gray, President and Chief Technology Officer for Constant Companion. And we started in 2018 uh, developing systems for home care using voice technology. We began focused on the uh, older adult market, but we now uh, span a much broader audience with contracts with the U.S. Veterans Administration. So we're working with uh, you know people in all different age groups and also those with disabilities, including special needs children. Uh, most recently during the pandemic, we released a product for telehealth and a hub in the home that it can be voice operated that does remote patient monitoring back to their healthcare providers for you know, vitals and how that patient is doing. Uh, excited to be here, Bradley, and, and I'm really excited to get to know all the other panelists here. I, I think since we began uh, uh, gaining Medicaid reimbursement capability, uh, we'd sure love to work with Dan and Jean-Claude and Nate on uh, partnering with what all they do because they're, they're great companies. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Our fourth and final guest is Nate Trelor. Nate, say hello. Hello, and uh, with Mark, I agree. I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation beyond the, this event with the three other panelists. Um, my name is Nate Trelor. I am president and one of the co-founders of Orbita. We are a software company based out of Boston. And uh, our central uh, business model is we help healthcare organizations across this industry, whether they're healthcare systems providers, even uh, life science companies, med tech companies, power or tap into the power and potential of voice and more generally conversational AI. And we do it through a technology platform that's designed to support the design development, uh, uh, optimization of these conversational agents. Uh, unique to what we do is we're omni-channel and uh, multimodal infrastructure. So you develop it and maintain it within our environment and you can publish it to Alexa, you can publish it to Google, you can publish it to a chat bot, even an interactive voice response system. And these agents are designed uh, across a variety of use cases, primarily for patient support, remote patient care um, against uh, chronic use cases. Built into all that is um, you know, content partnerships that we've established with the likes of the Mayo Clinic and others that allow us to bring uh, uh, highly uh, clinically vetted content into these experiences, which are unique, right? These conversational AI experiences as a digital interface. It's not the same as a mobile app. It's not the same as a website. So taking existing content and developing it for these environments is, is quite different. And that's really one of our strengths. So happy to be with, uh, with Bradley again, an old friend at this point. Feels like uh, we've been doing this for a while, even though this is still a pretty nascent uh, world we're in. Uh, um, a voice has been around for decades, but the resurgence uh, powered by Alexa and others uh, has created a big awareness of it. And we're, we're thrilled to be part of that. Nate, thank you for joining us. And you're right, we go way back. Uh, so this episode is about aging in place, which funny, funny enough is exactly how I would describe what it feels like I've been doing every day for the last three to four months, <laughs> um, along with everybody else. Uh, there's nothing unique about that. Um, other than, you know, maybe some, uh, some beachgoers in Florida or in, in Missouri somewhere, um, 
I, we're going to get to uh, really the fundamental question of, of this show, which is what was going on with voice technology and aging in place before all this? And are we seeing in this realm the same type of thing that we're seeing in other realms, which is COVID-19 accelerating the way that the world was already moving to begin with? Um, my suspicion is, is yes, but I, I definitely want to get the panel to, to sign off on that and, and um, provide the perspective. But before we even get to that, I want to ask the four of y'all, how has this pandemic altered, you know, just your own business and organization? Um, let's, let's take a minute and just talk about that a minute. I'd love to hear how, what has happened since, you know, I mean, it would be controversial even me to even say a time, you know, since early 2020, I guess that's apolitical enough. Um, how has COVID-19 changed what you and your organization are doing? And I'm going to go through the exact same order here. Dan, I'm going to start with you. Oh, thanks, Bradley. It's had a dramatic change, to say the least, uh, and in a few areas. First of all, the way we run our business now is virtual. Now, in our case, we were so early stage, we hadn't really gotten office space yet. We were thinking about getting some, so we were fortunate not to get any, but we've been uh, required to work virtually, and it's, it's been pretty effective. But the biggest impact, I think, <clears throat> from a production standpoint is that we uh, work with China, and uh, as such, uh, we've been delayed you know, several months as a result of this whole COVID-19. Uh, they, of course, experienced what we are experiencing now a few months before us. Uh, we now are finally getting products shipped and delivered, so that's good. And, and, and I, would, I would just add that COVID-19 has been obviously very tragic and very bad, and it's forced us all to do things quite differently. But from a product appreciation perspective, it's brought it to light. I mean, it's clearly now you know, people are seeing that they're going to be isolated, and how do they handle uh, isolation? How do they deal with their physicians? How do they get information about medical activities and events and, and reminders? How do you deal with a caregiver who may be 3,000 miles away, whether it be a son or a daughter? So all this has really kind of <clears throat> forced us to test the premise of isolation, and which is one of the uh, things that Hands Free Health offers by, by providing a companion in your home 24-7. It can also communicate with your caregiver. Excellent. John Claude, same question for you. How has COVID-19 impacted you, your business, your organization? Yeah, so uh, I think what is interesting is that, you know, it's very uneven in the sense, you know, I, 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 I work with uh, in, uh, a few companies, some are, you know, you know, developing a business online for them, you know, there was almost, you know, kind of, you know, change there. Uh, you know, when they're developing SaaS model or this kind of, this kind of uh, you, know, you know, business. Maybe what changed, you know, the, uh, for, you know, this type of business is that you don't have the, the direct, you know, you know, contact, you know, kind of necessarily with, uh, with the users. So a lot of things are done online. For example, if, uh, you know, the company is at the initial stage, you know, you, you don't talk to user, you know, face-to-face, -face, you know, you have to do that online, but, you know, you can manage these things. 
really, you know, the big difference is that when there is a hardware component, for example, a little like Dan, for example, you know, one of the companies making things in India and there was a number of delays and it was very difficult to get the things shipped and so on. So, you know, the, depending on the type of business, there are quite a bit of, uh, you know, of difference. And that's basically what, you know, what we, uh, uh, what we observe about what we found. Excellent. Mark, same question for you. How has COVID-19 impacted your business and organization? Well, I, I wasn't as smart as Dan. We built a factory and built a brand new office and we launched it January 1st with 10 production lines for manufacturing. And gosh darn it, six weeks after you opened, you got to go uh, backpedal. And then uh, by March, we were quarantining. So only essential personnel is allowed in the building. Uh, they look like, you know, someone out of a movie with hazmat gear on with the gloves and the plastic shields and face shields. And we sterilize all of our uh, systems because we ship them directly into uh, nursing homes and assisted living facilities, among other things. And Dan, Dan I'm sure you're dealing with the same thing as we serve the most vulnerable uh, in our population. But le learning how to telecommute and had to... Uh, get some of our employees souped up home internet so they could do this kind of stuff because we were uh, learning how to connect ourselves uh, as a team. But it's been educational for sure. We're, we're better prepared now than we were back in uh, February or March. Excellent. And Nate, same question to you. How has uh, COVID-19 impacted Orbita? Yeah, um, well, I think all of us probably have had the experience of seeing some validation of what we're doing and uh, virtual healthcare, telemedicine um, has certainly put a spotlight on the value proposition of what we're all trying to do. Um, you know, there's some stats out there from March, April, even you know, up until now about the rise of telemedicine and virtual healthcare visits. It's, um, it's over the, off the charts um, for some of these companies. Um, Zoom has become a dominant platform for uh, communication and healthcare. Um, I'm sure they benefited from it, um, and uh, but maybe didn't expect it quite to the degree that it's being used now. Um, for us in particular, um, just operationally, we've had to accommodate uh, working out remote. We have a small office in Boston. Uh, we're not a big company, about 25 full-time employees, and we were already kind of well-suited to remote work. Um, the nature of our business is well-suited. We don't ship devices or anything like that. Or pure software, so it didn't really have a particularly material impact other than culturally it's not the same without seeing people face to face, so we've had to come to terms with that. Um, the business itself, uh, we're, we're doing all right. Um, what happened for us in the early part of the year is we were gearing up for HIMSS, the big healthcare information system conference down in Orlando. And it was, uh, if you guys remember February, there were a lot of conferences that were getting canceled and canceled or going virtual. Uh, Hims was sort of a holdout, surprisingly, given it was healthcare. They held out right until I think the Friday before, and um, we were trying to decide whether we would go or not. And some of the big uh, participants are already canceling out of it. And then when that canceled, we already had a plan. We said, "All right." Um, at the same time, a lot of our um, Q1 opportunities were saying we can't talk right now, so come back, you know, until once we work through this uh, pandemic issue, uh, healthcare systems in particular. So we said, you know, our highest priority right now is to be relevant to our clients, to help them 
respond to this crisis. So how can we do that with the technology we have? So we created um, a COVID bot like a lot of people did. It's up on our website at orbita.ai. We made it freely available um, so you can download it and put it on your website. It answers basic questions about um, the the, uh, the the coronavirus, and it also does a simple screener with content source from the CDC. And a lot of people are doing that. We put ours up. Um, we think ours is better. But uh, the end the end goal there was really just to be relevant, to make sure we had something out there in the market, keep our team focused. Um, and I'm very proud of what we did because we we literally pivoted in those two that two week interval and just put all our attention on this. The things that we were planning to talk about at Hims. We set aside. It was all COVID all the time. And um, that's helped us. Um, actually, we closed a funding round in April, the end of April, like right in the height of it. And um, not, not simply because of what we were doing. It was uh, an investor that, and investors that were looking at us anyway. But um, I think partly our attention to this, the validation of what virtual healthcare means in this new world, um, creates an, it's created an awareness. So we're very, very fortunate um, as a business to have that support and to have the support of our clients and to be keeping very, very busy. So, no, that's great. And thanks to all four of you for the perspective there. I, uh, uh, what, has COVID-19 impacted conferences? I had not noticed that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's much longer than the podcast there and much more profane than what Mark Gray had to say. So, um, anyhow, um, so, you know, Nate, with what you were just describing, you were, um, really sort of getting into, uh, what I alluded to earlier, which is that, um, it's, you, you can call it a silver lining. You can call it whatever you want, but with, with COVID-19, in this pandemic, it seems to have this attribute of accelerating, moving the world faster to where the world was already headed in several different aspects of different verticals, you know, different businesses and industries uh, in our personal lives to some degree. Um, and with what you were talking about, with uh, the investors that were looking at Orbita, you know, they were already looking at Orbita and with COVID-19, maybe that caused something to happen a little bit earlier than perhaps it might, uh, maybe it moved that up. Um, we're going to go in reverse order here and Nate, I'm going to start with you and we're going to work backward. Um, paint me a picture, paint me a picture of what, uh, voice technology and AI and conversational AI, whatever you want to call it, was doing for those trying to age in place and wanting to age in place versus what it is doing now and what it looks like it can do now. And, um, you know, has it accelerated things or has it stifled things? Um, paint me a picture. It has accelerated things, I think it's fair to say, um, without question. Um, and, um, and not specifically just voice. I mean, voice is a, a capability for improving uh, the, the patient engagement, engagement with an individual at home outside or wherever they are. Um, but telemedicine, you know, Mark mentioned some of the work they're doing. Um, is another set of capabilities, right? How do you connect with somebody remotely? 
how do how do you support somebody who's in their home with uh, you know uh, need of elder care or um, you know with an actual chronic condition, um, and then how do you you know create the social connection with them? All of those principles existed before the COVID pandemic. What this has done is put a, a sharp spotlight on the need for these kinds of technologies and solutions, given um, all the obvious reasons of um, social distancing, um, reluctance in some cases for individuals to go into a, a clinical setting for fear of contracting uh, the, you know, a, a virus or, or whatever. You know, and so from our perspective, what we are seeing is just um, an acceleration. So where I would have said six months ago or a year ago, there were a lot of people who were what I often call voice curious, <laughs> where there was sort of a curiosity about the potential and a willingness to do some ex- exploration and exploring. Right now, it's it's become a bit more mission critical. Again, and I would say voice is part of it. Um, we're doing plenty of uh, chatbots. Right. We do just as many, if not more, conversational experiences delivered over devices like this, some of which support voice and some of which are um, text-based. But the idea of being able to reach somebody remotely through a digital endpoint that in a conversational agent, it's, um, I wouldn't say right now that it's mission critical, but it's much closer to mission critical than it was um, eight, eight to nine months ago, for sure. Excellent. Mark, same question for you. Um, paint us a picture of pre-pandemic voice and AI interaction with aging in place versus what's changed and if it's accelerated, if it's stayed the same, uh, your thoughts. Uh, I, I agree with everything Nate just said. I, I've seen the, the level of need for what voice technology brings into, uh, a home healthcare environment move from a nice to have, in some cases, to a must have. And we've seen our already nice, steady, rapid growth uh, move into hyper growth this past quarter, so much so we're now uh, have an installed user base in 200 plus healthcare partners around the United States and now into Canada um, and pandemic driven. I mean, it's just been incredible. What I think that the end user is going through is we've all had this globally had a lesson in uh, social isolation the past couple of months. And remember the first six weeks of quarantine and what that feel like. And as, as you were talking earlier, Nate was mentioning it was odd not seeing all of our teammates at work every day. And we're doing it because we're doing it remotely. A lot of the seniors that we serve and, and Dan probably can and relate to this as well. We, we're, we're dealing with p- folks that often go five or six days out of a week without seeing another person. Um, and that's, that's year round for them. That's not COVID. That's just aging in place and, and being somewhat isolated. So I've seen a growth, uh, Bradley, in the use of voice and video technology, such as, you know, an, an Echo Show or the, or regardless of the brand, Google or, or any of the the great AI platforms and voice platforms that have voice and video screens where they can video connect with family. So it's not just a telehealth, which we also support on a more encrypted platform, uh, the social determinants of health, of not feeling lonely, isolated, and depressed. 
And that's a big deal. And, and I think that's part of what I feel is driving this great increase we're seeing in the demand for it. But I think it's moved from a nice to have in many cases to more of a must have. And that's what I've, I've seen. Excellent. John Claude, same question for you. Voice and AI uh, in aging in place before, voice and AI in aging in place amidst. Uh, what have you seen uh, with this pandemic? Yeah, so uh, what Mark just said actually is a very nice segue, you know, for me. Uh, uh, in 2013, 14, I created a startup inside the big corporation in Panasonic, which was about loneliness. You know, because, you know, the big problem of aging in place, it's really loneliness. We found this in nursing home. We found this, you know, when people are at home, they have difficulties, you know, they withdraw. Their world is becoming smaller. And then, you know, the, you know the, what we tried to do at the time was to try to use technology to make their world bigger. So at the time, he was using a tablet connected to a cloud, you know, uh, you know software, and we were changing pictures, doing video chats, you know, basically in a very easy way so that the technology is hidden, but they could communicate in a way that technology could help. And what I am seeing is that, you know, the, at the time we were not using voice, though, you know, I didn't mind, you know, to introduce it uh, as we were going. But what I am seeing is that I see the acceleration of using technology and technology like voice now, you know, you know, to be able to do that. Why? Because voice is the most natural way of communicating. And, you know, with voice, you hide, you know, technology. And I can give you an example, actually, about three months ago. Uh, actually, uh, I, uh, uh, in my family, my mother is 87. She never connected to the internet. She never wrote an SMS. And we installed the WhatsApp, you know, message with voice input. Now she's sending me messages with voice input using dictation and I can communicate with her and she's sending me messages and she's so happy. And it's really just an example, very concrete, how you know, technology and the isolation that people are you know, kind of feeling through things like COVID-19 that is kind of uh, you know, um, uh, accelerating, I would say, the loneliness that they have and technology that can help them feel connected and hiding the technology, making it transparent and making them do the thing that, you know, they couldn't do or they never, they even didn't imagine, you know, that they could do. And so I really see this as a trend, you know, voice as an input, for example, voice, voice as a way, you know, to use digital kind of... Uh, technology in a way that is very natural. Excellent. And, no, I was so, so focused on your pro, very profound point. My power starts flickering off and I don't know if that's some sort of message or, or what, what's going on there. Uh, John claude that's excellent. Dan, same question for you. Uh, voice and conversational AI pre-pandemic, amidst the pandemic, what's changed? Your thoughts? First of all, if you hear my landscape in the background, I apologize up front for that. But let me just say that uh, everything I've, that's been said before me, I completely agree with. It's clearly accelerated the pace at which voice is used. But I want to highlight that when we started Hands-Free Health, we saw some dramatic trends occurring in healthcare as a whole. One of those was that a greater burden was placed on the individual consumer. The second was that we had an aging population. 
And the third was that the caregiver for that aging population wasn't always in the same zip code. And so we felt there was a need to provide some way of communicating between the caregiver and the, the senior, the aging person, and also recognize the aging person as having to have a lot more responsibility for their health care than was the case before. And with voice, uh, you can accommodate all those needs uh, quite well. And COVID-19 has made us have to do that quicker because people are now isolated. And it's forced that senior person to you know, deal with understanding healthcare needs and, and working with their carekeeper in an isolated environment. So, uh, you know, as everyone before me has already said, it has greatly accelerated the pace of use of voice, but it was something that I think we all saw coming anyway at some point in the future. No, that's great. And, and thanks to all four of you for, for your comments on that. Um, we're going to go through and I'm going to ask uh, each of the four of you um, what the biggest challenge is confronting uh, continued growth and evolution um, with how voice is impacting aging in place. And then we'll wrap up with uh, each member of the panel saying a trend that they expect to see um, in 2020, in the second half of 2020, uh, which just starts today. So, Dan, I'm going to start with you. We're going to work uh, through um, in reverse of the reverse. Uh, share with us, um, in your mind, the biggest challenge that you see confronting the continued adoption and growth and evolution of voice and conversational AI, either as it relates specifically to aging in place, or if you want to take it broader to modern healthcare, uh, that's fine too, either way. I think that's an easy one for me. It's security. I think that when you're dealing with something like care, obviously you have to have a secure environment. It needs to be HIPAA compliant for sure, but it has to be secure. People have to feel comfortable that when they are asking a question to their voice recognition device, that that question is not being recorded. They're not listening in for other, other issues. And, and, and I think that that's something that we at Hands Free Health uh, take very seriously. Uh, when you're dealing with, with health information, you have to be secure. You can't allow a bunch of apps to come in. It has, can't be an open source for apps. It has to be a closed source for apps. You have to have control over the security environment. And people need to become comfortable that they can use a, a voice recognition device and feel secure using it. It's not listening in everything you're saying. It's not recording what you're saying. And you, and you can do it in a safe, secure environment. Excellent. John Claude, your thoughts? Yeah, I, co I completely agree on uh, on security. You know, I would like uh, to emphasize something also that you know Dan mentioned, which is privacy, data privacy. Uh, a lot of these voice apps have been developed in the area of consumer products. You know, you can take you know Alexa, you can take you know Google Home, and so on. Uh, and uh, I think there is a need, you know, for you know uh, taking uh, making these. Uh, this technology kind of work in a more kind of you know HIPAA compliant data you know privacy you know setting uh, you know to be able to propagate you know better you know in the healthcare world and the, the second one that I would like to add without taking too much time is interoperability. Uh, there is uh, more to do you know so that you know on uh, uh, you can use a different time you know different kind of uh, you know you know voice system. 
uh, and they still remember eventually who you are, you know, and can kind of uh, uh, carry on, you know, based on on who you are. And uh, actually, this area of data privacy and uh, interoperability are tackled right now in a standard that are called, that is called, you know, open voice network, you know, in which actually I'm involving. And you know, because they are kind of uh, uh, essential, you know, for propagating the usage, especially in area like healthcare. Excellent. Mark, your thoughts, biggest challenge. But I, I like Dan's point about security. And unlike my panel uh, mates here today, I, I don't have the great uh, background in healthcare and voice that uh, each of them uh, do. My background was in cybersecurity, did that for the federal government at the White House and Department of Homeland Security. And so when I came into this platform and surrounded myself with some great voice tech uh, teammates, the first thing we did was build a private cloud where we anonymize our user base. And I, I found it was really almost uh, every customer we talked to, Bradley, uh, the older adult population in particular, and you're talking 50 million seniors and 10,000 a day, you know, turning 65, uh, it's a big audience. And there we're worried about big brother and people who's listening in. And even beyond the HIPAA compliance, I just want to know, like I know, like I know <laughs> that I'm safe if I have the smart speaker. We've seen customers who, who bought them online and have them in their house, but they're unplugged because they're afraid of them. I mean, I've literally had these conversations. So we anonymize our users where, uh, whether it's uh, Google or Amazon, it doesn't matter what brand speaker, they don't know their name, their address, or even what state they're in. We anonymize it down at that level and, and, and encrypt it. The, the other challenge I see is connectivity. Uh, there's been greater stress on the bandwidth system, and some older adults don't have um, internet at home. So we've had to fabricate systems with uh, Wi-Fi built in, so cellular 4G and 5G systems. So that's keeping us busy, I would say, is security and, uh, and communicating that security so people feel safe and connectivity, uh, access to the network. Excellent. And Nate, your thoughts on challenges? Well, um, we've we've been writing about privacy and security issues with voice for three years and uh, completely agree on the challenges there. I think right to get right to the point, um, I think maybe Dan mentioned this, is that the consumer devices that are out there from the big guys like Google and Amazon, um, while Amazon in particular have made some moves to address the privacy and security concerns, the genesis of uh, those technologies were consumer-facing generally non-healthcare related use cases. So um, there is real and legitimate concern about uses of those devices for healthcare reasons. Um, even beyond that, uh, there are people who are, have legitimate concerns about their personal privacy and security of their information, whether it's healthcare related or not, to, for an always on, always listening device. That's just the reality of where we are. Um, we will see that change as the big guys make some moves. You know, Amazon introduced a HIPAA-eligible version of Amazon Alexa last year in April, um, but it's very limited in its uh, availability. 
There are, um, you know, there are rumors of things coming in the future um, that will open those kind of capabilities up more broadly. And I uh, would never um, turn my back on Amazon <laughs> with respect to what they may aspire to do in getting into this $1 trillion market more heavily. We, we already seen them make some significant moves into healthcare. But um, be that as it may, I think uh, just the reality of an always-on, always-listening voice device are uh, legitimate concerns for privacy and security of data. Um, the, uh, the other one um, I would agree to, I think it was Mark who said um, that, uh, gosh, Mark, what was your second point? I had it. I lost it. Uh, connectivity. Connectivity, uh, yes. Thank you. That was it. Um, yeah, I agree with that one as well. I mean, we, we all, most of us uh, have the luxury of um, high bandwidth connections at home, but when you're really trying to read somebody in a in a rural setting or who for one reason or another doesn't have access to high um, to bandwidth. Um, even though these voice devices and the packets are fairly small, uh, they don't take up a huge amount of bandwidth. A little bit of latency just really compromises the quality of the experience. Um, you know, you're, if you want to be feeling like you're talking to an, uh, a, a, a proxy for a human, you want a conversational uh, cadence and sometimes with low bandwidth you don't get that. Uh, which leads me to the third thing, which is the um, importance of the user experience itself. This has really become more of a dominant theme in the voice world over the last year or so, is the importance of developing voice user experiences that have uh, empathy and are designed for the, the um, personas that they're intended for, right? Um, you know, in, in traditional digital environments, you, you uh, often are in marketing, for example, you're, you're told to write your content for the eighth grade reading level or fifth grade reading level. And uh, when you're creating a voice experience, you have to be cautious, particularly in healthcare, to not get too clinical. We are constantly working with our clients who want to build these healthcare applications to say that, um, you know, words like um, convalescence and, you know, multisyllabic words aren't necessarily the ones you want to be using. So you got to, you got to, there's a, a UX design or voice UX design sensibility that's really important to have in any uh, development effort that you're taking on. And it, it's hard to find those people. It's getting easier. There's more of them coming into the marketplace. But it's hard to find good VUX designers. So you wouldn't say we ought to juxtapose some luminaries and get their philosophy? No, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so those are great points, and, and I appreciate that. I, uh, the, the point on security, it just, um, it, it just reminds me every time security comes up, which is often uh, on this show or, or anywhere else, I think about, um, I don't remember what episode it was. I remember who it was who made the comment, but it was a... Um, it was the the person that we had keynote um, the one of our early Alexa conferences, uh, Keisha Williams, um, who is a uh, well-known uh, speaker, technologist. And uh, she's also an Alexa champion, which means that Amazon has um, uh, in their uh, purview uh, anointed you as someone doing some fantastic work with the ecosystem, which she certainly is. She was on... This Week in Voice, and uh, amidst the conversation on one of the stories of that particular week, she made the comment that um, despite the fact that she works with her daughters um, to create Alexa skills, uh, and that is a, a very valuable um, thing, you know, it's, a, it's a, 
family exercise for them uh, and uh, a lot of fun. Um, at the end of every day, she unplugs all of her Alexa devices. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, you know, here is a person that, um, you know, Amazon has uh, said this is an Alexa champion doing amazing work um, who does not feel like um, things have progressed enough. And this is a couple of years ago, mind you, but still to where she would, at the end of the day, go through her house and unplug every device. I just thought that was one of the most remarkable things I'd ever heard. And we had a lengthy conversation uh, about it uh, when she said that. It's, it's interesting to me to look at what's happened with the pandemic. I'll make this comment and then we'll get to the trends and we'll be, we'll be done, done here. But um, one of the things I found fascinating, you know, everybody has, uh, on the panel has talked about security. With the pandemic, one of the things that we have seen with voice that I just find really interesting is that Facebook portal sales are stratospheric. And I've made the point before that if it had been, you know, Amazon is a trusted consumer brand. They advocate for the customer. They have uh, a long history of being willing to put anybody out of business uh, in favor of getting that widget to you two hours faster or getting it to you for five cents cheaper. So they, they built this brand equity up around that. Now you can imagine what would have happened with voice and conversational AI and smart speakers and all this if Facebook had been the first company to try to bring it to market. It would not have worked nearly as well because people don't trust that company. And yet, in the midst of the pandemic, one of the major things we've seen is that Facebook portals, <laughs> which you could not, you could beg someone to buy it and they wouldn't have done it. You could have sold a Facebook portal and a $200 bill to somebody for $200 and they still would have said no, they're, they're flying off the shelves. And it's a I think it's an interesting commentary or at least an interesting thing to take note of on maybe there's some shifts in our, in our demand for privacy, you know, that, that we saw at the height of this pandemic that maybe as we're coming out of, you know, Again, I hate to say coming out of it because someone's going to ascribe politics to that. You know, it's changing and evolving. We're understanding things more and the disease is killing less people uh, that maybe we're, privacy, I, I would agree, privacy will surge back to being um, a, a foremost focus. So anyway, sorry for that soliloquy. I just felt, felt like that was an interesting thing to point out um, hearing y'all talk about security, which I think is warranted. Uh, we will close this show with each of the four panelists sharing what they see uh, as a, what they think that they'll see as a trend emerging in the second half of 2020 into 2021. Today is July 1st. It's the start of the second half of the year. It feels like uh, the first half of 2020 was like several millennia long. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, here we are. And Nate, I'm going to start with you and work in reverse to close the show. Tell us one thing that you're going to go on the record, uh, put on the Nostradamus hat. What is something we're going to see in the second half of 2020 as it relates to voice, AI, and healthcare? Um, well, I think you're going to see uh, at least one announcement from one of the big guys about their ambitions to bring voice more into healthcare use cases. Um, we talked about you know, Amazon, Google, others. 
there'll be at least one. Um, this isn't really a Nostradamus prediction because there's one every six months, right? But I think uh, for this little panel and what we're all aspiring to do, um, we're going to see a pretty significant announcement in that area. Excellent. Mark, you're, give us one prediction for the second half of 2020. Um, I, I think that as the, uh, regardless of when the pandemic winds down or we get a vaccine or uh, when we see the end of COVID as the biggest healthcare risk, I believe that telehealth and being connecting patients remotely to care as well as, you know, from a social perspective is here to stay. I think it got a five-year accelerator because of COVID. And I think that that trajectory will continue to grow. Excellent. John claude your prediction for the second half of 2020. Yeah, I would have chosen the previous two, but I will add an, another one. <laughs> I agree with the with the, the previous you know, speaker, but uh, what I would say is that I, I I think, and we are seeing it already, is more voice up, you know, that are kind of uh, uh, designed, you know, to access some information, like you know, Nathan mentioned with Orbita accessing you know, COVID information, we'll see more of this in terms of accessing in an easy way some information in some narrow domain. And I think that's a trend that will you know, we'll continue. Excellent. And Dan, your prediction for the second half of 2020? Well, I clearly agree with Nate. We're going to see other large players try to get involved in voices that pertains to health. The problem they're going to face, obviously, is it's the same one they've always faced, and that's security and trust, and, and that's going to become an issue. Uh, that aside, I think we're going to see a, 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 a very aggressive uh, move toward using telehealth and voice for uh, medical visits that hadn't been thought about in the past, and whether it be uh, your routine visits with your physician or, or whether it be just checkups with your physician. I think we're going to see that done much, much more now through telehealth and voice than had been the case in the past. Excellent. Gentlemen, what a pleasure to spend some time with you. Um, uh, first day of July, 2020, uh, talking about uh, what we hope to see, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I feel like turn the page on the calendar. It's time for a more sort of hopeful disposition. Y'all have certainly given it to us today. Thank you very much for being part of the show. Thank, Thank you, Bradley. You. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. For This Week in Voice, our special healthcare series, episode one of five. Thank you for listening, watching, if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.